Science and industry have much to gain from working more closely together. But their goals and ways of working can sometimes feel worlds apart. What makes them so different? And what does it take to create collaborations that are mutually beneficial? In this episode, we will talk to Science Director Henrik Österblom from the Stockholm Resilience Center and Darian McBain, Global Director for Corporate Affairs and Sustainability at Thai Union, the world's largest producer of canned tuna. They will reflect on their experiences of working together to make the world's largest seafood companies more sustainable and to lead a shift towards ocean stewardship. Welcome to Rethink Talks. Darian and Henrik, it's great to have you here. Thank you, Lisa. Nice to be here. Thank you, Lisa. And Henrik Esterblom, your research focuses on ocean sustainability and global governance. And in 2016, you helped form the Seafood Business for Ocean Stewardship, or CBOS, which for the first time brought together the 10 largest seafood companies across all sectors to collaborate with science for ocean stewardship. One of these companies is Thai Union, the world's largest producer of canned tuna and the highest ranked company in the Seafood Stewardship Index by World Benchmarking Alliance. Darian McBain, you must have been a key driver behind this achievement. So big congratulations. And uh, you've also been an active partner in moving the CBOS initiative forward. And you hold a PhD in supply chain analysis, so you're certainly familiar with the world of science. But what would you say are the biggest differences between academia and industry? So actually, I had just finished my PhD and working with Sydney University when the opportunity to join Thai Union came up. And what it meant for me was that I could synthesize all of the experience that I'd had across government, intergovernment, NGO, and then finally academia and bring it to life in a business. So to me, the main difference is in academia, you have the time and the breadth to look at issues from all different angles and synthesize a really good thought process and outcomes. In business, it's much more fast-paced, but you can affect change much more quickly. Hmm. That leads us into to the question to Henrik, because you started off the CBOS initiative very much, of course, as a scientist, uh, curious in, in finding out which are the biggest actors uh, shaping uh, the ocean, basically. But then you turned into more of a change agent uh, when you decided to actually bring these companies together. Can you tell me something about that process? Well, it was. Uh, I'm an empirical scientist, so I'm I'm interested in how the world works, looking at the data to describe that. And uh, we were interested in the future of the ocean, and thinking about who is it that can shape the future of the ocean. We thought interesting to look at companies, of course, and realize that we actually don't know who the biggest companies are in the world. And Carl Folke, our, our colleague, suggested maybe there's something like keystone actors of the world. And that's an interesting idea. Maybe there are some disproportionately large companies in the world that has the power to influence the seafood production system in its entirety. And of course, we had no idea who these were. So we set about trying to figure out, well, are they keystone actors? How, who are they? How big are they? What are they doing? 
So, so that was an exciting empirical curiosity-driven process. But how did it feel to start approaching these companies? Well, to be honest, terrifying. You know, <laughs> I, I, I did not know anything about these companies. I did not know any of the people in their companies. I did not know how they were thinking or operating. I mean, we know a lot about their operations and their subsidiaries and their production portfolios, but we had no idea how they would react to our questions to engage with us. And and we were, yeah, it was going into a new world, learning lots of new things. So it was somewhat terrifying, but of course, talking to these people, to Darian and many of the other colleagues, you know, they're, they're people just like us. They want to do a good job. They want to engage with sustainability and they, they want to learn new things. So I think it was really exciting to to learn how much we have actually have in common. And, and Darian, do you remember when, when Henrik and his team contacted you at Thai Union and what did you think of them? Well, actually, it came to me in two different ways. So independently, I had read the paper that was published in PLOS One and was so impressed with the concept and also that it quantified Thai Union because, quite frankly, everybody thought I went to work for some very strange little Thai fishmonger and couldn't understand why I was going to join Thai Union. And there was a beautiful graphic which had the size of the circles of these companies. And I could say, look, this is how important Thai Union is to ocean sustainability. So I'd already been referring to that article. And then for CBOS, actually it came to Thai Union through a different path. So there'd already been a collaboration with the Stockholm Resilience Center with a group called Sonova and Sonova were headquartered in Bangkok and they had approached Thai Union directly. So when I joined Thai Union, Kuntirapong, our CEO, had given me the letter, which was the introduction to what was the initiative at the time. It wasn't called CBOS and just said, you're going to the Maldives for me for the first meeting. I'm like, oh, okay, I can do that. <laughs> and and so the idea, I mean, this idea of actually having an initiative in place after the dialogue, was that already in your mind when you invited to this dialogue? No, not at all. No. The the ambition with the dialogue at the hosted at the Soneva uh, location in, in the Maldives, the plan was to start a conversation to investigate if there's any potential whatsoever for these big companies to work together with each other and with science to explore if there's any potential in the future to engage in sustainability. And of course, we went way beyond that at that first dialogue, which was really exciting and a bit uh, surprising to us, I must say. Mm. And this is a few years back now. It feels like forever, but it's four <laughs> years ago, pretty much exactly. Yeah, November 2016. Yeah. And and you just recently published a paper uh, called Science Industry Collaboration, Sideways or Highways to Ocean Sustainability, where you describe the science business collaboration as a road trip divided up in different parts. And then you give advice to scientists along the way. Can you take us through this jour- that journey? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a, a summary of lots of different colleagues' experiences in science business collaboration. And we realized that our experiences are quite similar, both our excitements, but also our fears and frustrations. So in this road trip, we describe it as four different phases. One is loading up the car, basically uh, figuring out what you need when you're going on a trip that you've never been on before. You need to build all these relationships. You need to build all this capacity and, and networks to be able to at all be able to engage. Next step of the road trip is pull off the driveway, and that takes forever before you get going. You know, who's going to do what? What's what's the ambition? What are the goals? And, and where are you heading? 
when you're finally out on, on sort of new terrain, you're you're enjoying the ride and it's it's beautiful and it's great and you're so excited and it's looking fantastic and you're going someplace new and it's everyone's happy in the car. But of course, before you know it, you're in the the fourth phase. Are we there yet? I mean, it takes forever to get there. There's lots of investment by lots of people, lots of frustrations, and uh, and and but but there are wins along the way. But it's just the point with this paper is from the perspective of scientists to illustrate that it, it it's going to be a big investment. It's going to take a lot of your time, and there's going to be some frustrations along the way. But it's definitely worth the ride. Hmm. And Darian, do these uh, four phases resonate with you as an industry uh, representative? And, and what advice would you give along the way to industry who, who enters into collaboration with science? So they certainly do resonate. And I think the description of the journey in those four phases is important because I feel one of the first pitfalls that business falls into when working with academia is thinking that are we there yet comes first and the answers will come within the next month or two. There's a bit of explaining that this isn't consultancy, this is a longer term collaboration. And I had experience when I worked with the National Health Service in the UK of a, a collaboration with the university. And so I had some perspective that the answers don't come immediately. It's a very different process. And so particularly that loading up the boot phase was very important. It seemed to take a long time, but I don't think there was very much trust between the different parties. There was interest, but it took a while for the business side to think, well, what do these academics have to offer us and how can we help? But then I think also for academics to see, well, how can we work with business and how can we influence them? And then there are those phases. There are definitely, I don't know if you had a phase of the potholes and the uh, the road bumps, the speed humps, but they are definitely along the journey. And I think I'm happy to say I don't see that we're close to the end of the journey, but I'm, I also don't think that anyone wants the journey to end. At the moment, we're still enjoying the car trip. And we will come back to the, the potholes and deep, dig a bit deeper in, in those. But, but you know, why, why then um, should or would sci- um, industry collaborate with science? What, what's in it? I mean, if you, if you need that much patience, what can you gain from it? So one of the things that I found is that businesses tend to collaborate with NGOs and other parts of civil society, so non-governmental organizations, They have their own agendas. Uh, They have been set up for a particular purpose and they will follow those agendas. But sometimes your agendas align and that's fine. But sometimes you have bigger questions about, is this really the right thing to do? And I think it's particularly important with, say, fisheries. We all want to base what we're doing on the science. Uh, Well, certainly I do, but I have a scientific background And it isn't necessarily an advocacy position that you want to follow. You want to understand if we make this big commitment, is it going to have the right outcomes? And those are the kinds of questions that academia are very well able to help us answer, um, which you may not be able to get from the NGO community. And taking a broader perspective, I think, Sometimes academia can come up with answers to questions that you didn't realize you wanted to know the answer to. Um, so there can be things presented that, oh, I never realized there was a link between X and Y. 
and it may take you down a different track on the road, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. And it's great to have partners there who can help expand your mind beyond your business focus. Hmm. And and Henrik, vice versa then, what's what's in it for for science to collaborate with industry, would you say? Well, I mean, as a sustainability scientist, I'm I'm interested in in figuring out ways to enable positive change for sustainability. And of course, we can publish uh, hundreds of papers that nobody ever reads. But when we're able to collaboratively engage with industry and other stakeholders, we can learn a lot more about the reality in which solutions needs to be implemented. So when we can be a partner of both defining problems and identifying and testing piloting and, and also even scaling solutions, such as the case with when you have the opportunity to work with the 10 biggest companies in the world, you can, of course, learn a lot from all their different experiences, but you can also make sure that your science really has an impact. So I think that's, that's really exciting for us. And the nice thing is that we think of this as, as a strange form of experiment, if you will, and, and to test the hypothesis, can the Keystone actors change seafood production systems? And, and uh, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to do really good science. And it's much more interesting than just doing desk job and trying to collect data and, you know, make a synthesis of existing information. We're really in real time trying to change something here together. So that's very exciting. I think the most, the most common critique is that uh, sustainability science is about sustainability and and corporations are about making profit and how can you make those worlds meet um so so given given that potential tension between different goals of the different worlds um how have you addressed that in this initiative would you say i can start i think uh, what we realize when we work together is uh, something i was starting talking about earlier is that we, we all want to learn new things And and we all want to do things that we are a little bit uncomfortable with. And we all want to interact with people that we've never met before because that's where the most potential is to learn new things and, and be a bit uncomfortable. And I think uh, as scientists, we were not really sure what the industries would be up to. And, and I think the companies were not sure what we were up to either. You know, did we have a hidden agenda? Were they going to trick us? I think that was something that everyone was sort of considering. And I think as we're developing this relationship, we're realizing we're, we're actually... Everyone needs community respect. Everyone needs to produce according to their currency, if it's scientific papers or, or if it's sort of bottom line in your quarterly reports. But everyone wants to, uh, everyone can achieve more if you work together. So I think this sort of, it takes a bit of time to figure out that you can actually be comfortable in an uncomfortable space. But when you've figured that out and you build these relationships, it's now over four years that I've been interacting with Derrida and her colleagues. And I think we we trust each other now and we know that we want the same thing. So there's different currencies that we're striving for in our different worlds, but there's also lots of similar currency. And I think that is learning and sharing and developing new knowledge because everyone's interested in a sustainable ocean because it benefits well, the ocean and it benefits industries and it benefits communities. So I think that's what sustainability science is about. And I think that's what business is about. Daria? So business, I think there's a very practical aspect to sustainability. So Wild capture seafood, when you're going out and fishing, is one of the last forms of wild 
you know, capture for food that exists in the world. It's very different to farming and agriculture. And aquaculture, although it's more managed, it still has that link to the wild capture seafood. Now, mostly we're not growing that. It is there. It is part of the environment. And if you overfish, it is literally not part of the environment anymore. None of us will have a business model. You know, Thai Union won't be there if there's no more tuna left in the ocean. And so that incentivizes a certain amount of considering, well, if we don't look after our resource today, we won't have a business in, say, 10 years' time. And we've seen the collapse of enough fisheries around the world that we know this isn't just folklore. This really does happen. And so I think seafood business, you know, perhaps at one of the highest levels, really should be able to see that ocean sustainability is a part of their business model. And if you look at topics even beyond just the sustainability of fisheries, um, you know, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, for example, gave us a statistic that by 2050, there'll be more plastics in the ocean than fish. Now, for a, a fishing company, a seafood company, that is very scary because we can't sell canned plastic. We want to sell the fish. And so, again, that means that we need to take a very active role in making sure that the oceans are healthy. And that's where CBOS and the science that it brings can really help for businesses to make decisions that have outcomes that will help our business rather than just be a sustainability cost or greenwash or PR. And also ocean stewardship and ocean sustainability is something that you, no actor can achieve alone, right? So even a company, you know, acting on that won't achieve it unless others are helping out too, uh, both science but, but also other industries and, and other companies. Very true. Yes, it, it does make a huge difference to know that you have these 10 very large companies working on these initiatives And if we as the 10 companies work on them and then our supply chains start to engage, that is how you make large-scale change. So I want to go back to these uh, potholes and, and uh, obstacles that, that are part of every successful collaboration, I think. Were there times along the way in, in your process uh, where you thought this might not work uh, at all? And, and if so, how did you proceed from that feeling? Well, from my perspective, uh, in the first meeting was in 2016. We were super excited about that. The next meeting that you uh, chaired, Leeson, was in 2017. And at that meeting, we agreed that, okay, scientists will now lead an interim CBOS secretariat to facilitate this work. That was my job to lead that secretariat, and we agreed to do that for a year. Uh, and this is when we were trying to define who's doing what and when and for how long. And I agreed to do this for a year. But then that position got postponed and postponed and postponed again. And it was only at 2019 in June that I was finally sort of relieved of this duty. And I must say that it was it was hard work and it was frustrating for me to over and over again have to re-embark in this time-consuming work. At the same time as people were telling me, well, it's actually a waste of time and it's probably a stupid idea to work with industry from the beginning. So so why do you even bother? So I think that process of potholes and people saying, well, you have a stupid car already. So I think mm. that was a bit of a frustration. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it was worth the effort and I think it's probably a good idea in retrospect, but definitely some frustration there. And what made you work through that 
frustration and continue. Uh, skin in the game, I guess, you mm-hmm. know, and the opportunities for, you know, what if it does work, you know. Mm. Darian, do you have an example? So I think the process of setting goals and targets that we can all agree upon has been challenging, particularly because you're bringing together, one, the academic input, but two, you're dealing with companies who are all really quite different, culturally quite different, and different in their ambitions. And so to then set targets uh, you know, across the ones that meet the expectations of, say, European companies versus the Asian companies, it's been a challenge. It's been a great challenge. And I think it leads to one of the successes, which is that now we do all collaborate so much better. And I feel I have an insight when I read the seafood press about what is happening in the other Keystone Actor companies. I have an insight of what goes on behind there. And I feel I could reach out to those uh, different sustainability leaders in the companies and ask a question if I needed to. But just getting that alignment, um, different regulations as well. You know, we're all governed by different regulations. Some are international, but then you need to meet the requirements of your most immediate stakeholders. And that's different for each different Keystone actor as it is for the academic team. And so finding a synthesis of what's going to both drive progress, but also something that can be realistic and achievable. Because I I do fear that if we set something that sounded grand, but was unachievable, we could lose that momentum. The car could run out of fuel partway down the road. Hmm. And and what what helped you uh, continue through that process of developing these time-bound targets, even when it felt almost impossible at times? I've always thought this is a grand experiment and something that I feel privileged to be part of. From the very start of when I first read the paper, I love the idea of taking an academic concept and paper and actually bringing it to the real world. It's like taking something from a comic book and then bringing it to life in 3D. And so it wasn't a matter of walking away. It was a matter of making sure that we could find a path that worked. But that's not to say it wasn't frustrating at times. And I don't, as we said, we're not at the end of the journey yet. I'm sure that it will continue to be challenging. But the trust that we built up while we were packing the boot has helped. (laughs) And... uh... My final question is around positive surprises, you know, things that have maybe worked better than you expected or outcomes that you didn't think would be there when you started off this process. Henrik, do you have any examples of that? Well, over the years, there's been quite a turnover in CEOs. I mean, these are 10 companies. And as Darian mentioned, the pace is fastest business. So quite a few CEOs have left their position quite a few new CEOs have entered the group. But it's nice to see that the, the social trust and the level of commitments by all these other CEOs and 
who have been there for a while, they rapidly integrate the, the new CEOs into gr- the group. So we have a strong foundation of, of trust and a shared vision for ocean stewardship that we're able to develop together, despite the fact that there are lots of new people coming in. So I think we really have a robust basis for, for long-term collaboration, despite these sort of shocks and disturbances along the way. So that has led us to these goals, but it's also led us to quite a few outcomes that are that are quite exciting, you know, but this long-term commitment by CEO has really surprised me, the level of engagement and commitment to this. And then that it has now really gone beyond individuals and it's become an initiative that, that can take some turnover of, of people. Absolutely. We've seen lots of progress in individual companies, but we're now seeing CBOs working together as a group with a strong shared vision and a strong foundation uh, of really wanting to achieve these big commitments that they made already in 2016. Hmm. And Darian, you get the final word here. What what do you what would you like to add? Well, I think I'd like to echo what Henrik said, that I think the collaboration and the trust that's built up is one of the most exciting features and the thing that will continue to drive change. As Henrik said, there have been several changes of CEOs, companies have, I guess, gone through different fortunes, you know, good years, bad years, and yet there is still a commitment. So the collaboration and engagement by the CEOs, but then by the more operational staff is exciting. And then also for us to see the path of the academics. I mean, all of them have continued on with brilliant careers and doing exciting things. And so it's lovely to see how the academic side has continued to blossom and share the research with the world that's going on. So that's really positive too. I think we all get a very positive feeling about CBOS, even though there might be challenges overall, it's a very positive space. Thank you. Thank you both for a very interesting and engaging conversation and good luck on the continued journey that sounds as if it has just started. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. You have listened to Rethink Talks, a podcast series produced by the Stockholm Resilience Center at Stockholm University. For more episodes, head over to our website, rethink.earth. And don't forget to subscribe.